0: Hey everyone, welcome to Wheelchair Nate's Podcast, Episode 3, uh, with Chris the Honeybee Wagner. Chris, how's it going tonight?
1: Oh, I'm doing pretty well, bud. How are you doing? Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you're welcome, man. I'm doing great. Thank you. It's uh, you know, a cool to have you. It's uh, I never knew that you were a honeybee keeper, well, I guess we'll get more into that in a minute, but... Uh, it was, you know, besides cage fighting, I didn't, I didn't know what you did.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what my full-time gig is. That's what I do to pay the bills, you know.
0: Okay, so, I guess I, I did some research and got some questions about some, uh, bees for you.
1: Absolutely, fire away, bud.
0: So, uh, now, do you think, is the population of the honeybees going up or down? And, like, why...
1: So, last year, there was a real big deal where... So, at beekeepers, we bring our bees to California. All, all beekeepers over America bring them from all all over. So, when you get them that close together like that, if we're doing everything right to treat them and whatever, and some other guy isn't, and they start tra- transporting diseases back and forth to each other, right? So then you get all these high concentrations of different bees from different companies and they all start inter- spreading these diseases, much like, you know, a pandemic, obviously. Sometimes it's real bad stuff. Like there's, there's European and Italian foul brood or European and American foul brood, sorry. Okay. Which attacks uh, the, the brood, the baby bees. So last year we got hit with uh, a, a strain of either European or American fowl brood—it's hard to tell the difference. But all the all these keepers across America, obviously, when they went to their own back home to their own respective spots to uh, start making their honey crop for the year, then started noticing there's a significant decline then. The population of their bees, well, this European foul brood isn't something that we see very often, so it's really not something that, you know, clicked with everybody right away. Once we realized that's what was going down, which doesn't take very long, but once they start getting infected with it, it just runs rapid. A lot of beekeepers had a lot of hard times coming back from it. Um, This year, it seems as if, though, everybody's taken the right precautions and done the right things to, reverse that process and we're starting to see a, a much better incline than the health of our bees at least us as a company and from what we understand talking to other beekeepers is
0: the same with them okay so you as yourself like, uh, how do you keep uh, your honeybees so safe or uh, how do you try and prevent diseases from coming in or is um, this what happens
1: well, I mean, it's definitely the nature of the game. It's I mean, that's with any livestock that you you have. You know, it's always a nature where there's going to be good years and bad years, especially with the honeybee where there's conditions and everything else. But there's also certain pre-medicine treatments that you can give them. There's post-sickness medicines that you can treat them with. It's really a lot like a human. Obviously, the things that we use to treat them with is different, but we still use treatments Precautionary and oh oh no it's it happened we need to take care of it. Um, the other real big one that gets bees is what we call a varroa mite, which is a p- parasite like a tick that they get essentially. It, and there's a, there's several ways that we treat for those all year long as well.
0: Okay, yeah, that's one of my no- other questions too. Is uh like uh not only like with killer bees but like other insects uh like uh, how bad of impact have they been? They are. They oh, uh... there's,
1: there's two real big insects that affect the bee. One is a wax moth. And as well, it's in and it lays eggs inside the comb. And then once the eggs of that wax moth hatch, it starts eating the comb. And you ne- you need good, healthy honeycomb. Not necessarily with honey in it, just the empty spaces because, you know, that's where they store their pollen. That's where they store their honey. That's where they put the eggs to grow their own use. So once it starts tearing that up, it, it cuts down on their space to lay new bees, which obviously will decline a population. And they, if it gets bad, it can happen fast. But it, it's pretty easily preventable. The real bad one is what we call a varroa mite, which is, again, like a tick. And, I mean, the, there's certain places. We have a branch in idaho and i mean they, they have to be spot on every day with their treatment every 14 days making sure they get some kind of because sometimes you know you have to use honey safe products you have to switch up the treatments that you use so they don't get resistant to one so i mean these guys have got to be spot on to the day every time the old treatment wears off they got to be there with a new treatment or they'll just see colony collapse from varroa mite like it's not even funny and is what the reason for that is is there's no bee regulations in idaho so you can have your bees here and a guy can have his bees a half mile down the road and then they can you know just like what happens in california they can start spreading these mites back and forth so you might be treating but guy down the street's not treating so now here you got varroa mites in montana you have to be registered with the state of Montana and your colonies have to be at least three miles away from any other beekeeper in the area. So the way beekeepers in Montana will do it is they'll obviously just lease a section of that through the state and through other private farms and ranches. And then they register that with the state. And then so we have a, a large, large area from pretty much into Cascade, all the Willsaw and White Sulfur and over into Drummond and Missoula.
0: Oh, wow, okay. Quite a big area.
1: Two different branches, one here in Townsend. Yeah, well, we have well, we have two branches, one in Townsend, and then we have another crew of guys that runs in Drummond. And then we just recently got some stuff up by Cascade. So yeah, like, we, we it's good. it keeps you busy. Good area.
0: Yeah. yeah so I, I guess besides a great keeping game. it the I obviously proper enjoy distance, very, very much. is there anything? You know, like, uh, we can do to help keep the bees safe. I, and I guess not just, and I say we, not just a honey keeper or, like, a honey or beekeepers, but anybody in general.
1: Well, you know, the big things are planting plants that help promote bee health. As much as everybody sees, like, dandelions as a weed, that is one of the very first floral source for the bees, and it's all, all, honestly one of the healthiest for them, too. It just carries high amounts of pollen, high amounts of nectar. Once you start getting them on a honey flow like that, the, the population booms. I mean, we, when we, the dandelion flow hits out in the wild fields for us, we have to regulate the size of our colonies and not let them get too big even. I mean, they will absolutely blow up. So as, as a person out there, I mean, that's obviously what we want. That's what we're looking for. So to let your dandelions grow as much as everybody hates seeing them in their lawn. That right there alone would make a tremendous difference. The other thing is just, you know, not using heavy pesticides to tame your lawn and your gardens and not just to let the dandelions grow but when that one dandelion does grow a bee lands on that gets the nectar and pollen from that dandelion and flies back to the colony a lot of times if they care enough bees hit that flower and what have you it, it will okay. poison, uh, cut down the, uh, the uh, how big a colony significantly
0: or how many bees can you have per colony before you have to you have to transport them somewhere else
1: So is the process is what we call nuking. It's where, you know, so you have colony loss throughout the year. In the wintertime, to keep us busy, we go through all those colonies that we lost, and we re- rearrange the frames to have the perfect amount of honey, pollen, and empty laying space. We'll then take that box out to the – because a box consists of seven frames in each one. So we'll take that box with those seven frames out to the field. When we lift up a colony that we're like, hey, that one's big enough to where it's, you know, it's going to start swarming because she's running out of room in there. We'll take a couple frames of baby bees with a couple frames of bees on it. We'll find the queen. We'll leave the old queen in the old colony, and then we'll take just those bees, put it in that uh, in the box that we brought with us that doesn't have bees in it. You carry it somewhere else. And then you put a new queen in it, and there that that's how you make you make up your n- colony numbers that way, and you cut them down. It's not a specific number, but just once they start to run out of room.
0: Okay, and, I you guess know, yeah, you, it'd be hard to count themselves. On. You got to cut them so, down. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and as as uh, the honey flow kicks in. They really start building numbers in rapid force. I mean, as a, you know, their means to survival, to be able to make a lot of honey for the storage for the winter, you, you start adding more space to their colony. And that's what allows you to let them be so big. They naturally start to drop in size as you they go into the winter again is to, you know, cut down the numbers, not go through their winter storage. And then that, so uh, they they cut themselves down. We bring them to California. It's a perfect environment up there. And once we get them back from California, they're generally really big. And we have to take care of them again. Okay. Bring them back down to size until the honey flow
0: hits. Uh, it's, there's, there's a lot more to bees than I, I ever even knew about. I can only a, imagine. It's a I, pretty expensive ask business. Yeah. I, I can... I can't even imagine so and another another question or i did some research and uh, this could just be internet fake news or or in fake reading but uh i heard uh hemp is actually is really good for bees too or or it helps hemp uh, bees help hemp grow
1: Um, you know, so hemp is a plant that obviously gets pollinated. I mean, it has pollen and they absolutely do pollinate them. Any plant in which a bee is going to pollinate is going to help stimulate what the the plant is naturally supposed to do. Um, the, the hemp usually that they're pollinating, and I, I don't know much about the, the, the making honey out of bees that have pollinated weed per se. But I do I do know that they use them okay. to pollinate hemp plants that are used for paper. Yeah, it's just a, like a, that.
0: Random, like a random news uh, article that popped up, and there wasn't much info for it. And, and I thought I'd ask you, because obviously, you know, you, you might know more, but uh, yeah. it's, it's so cool on how, you know, like everything yeah, that know. they can do, I guess, I don't it, I'm trying to say. I, don't, I guess I I never knew uh, a hemp had so much pollen on it, and that be help with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And then, uh, I think you were talking a little bit about uh the like, you know, the process of uh, of the uh, you know, I'm, I'm making uh and you know, helping helping the hemp paper but i guess uh, what's the uh process for it's like making the honey do you have anything to do with that or is that someone else's job the actual
1: like making of the honey as far as i i, I do not extract the honey from the boxes i mean i have been a part of it before but I don't actually sit in the, you know, in the the building itself because this is what this is what happens is we they take it out the frames out of the boxes, and they run them through this machine that cuts the cap off of it, and then it runs freely. After they cut the cap off of it, it just runs into a big we it's just a velocity spinner it's just a big machine that you load the frames into and you close it up and it spins all the honey out it spins really fast and spins the honey out of it it would suck it through pumps and into tanks and then drain it into 55 gallon drums and sell it to a honey packer but uh the process in which bees themselves make honey You just, you you kind of time it right for them and you give them more extra space to fill the honey up. You don't want to give them too much at once until they're full and they're ready for more room. If you, if you time all of it right, they can make a serious amount of honey in a very short period of time. So you let them build up. Once the honey flow starts to shut down, you bring, we call them sun pads and you bring those out there and you sprinkle a little bit of, of food safe just a real strong scented chemical it's not a chemical but it's you know you put that on there and the smell of it once the sun heats up these pads because you're still in the middle of summer it'll push the bees down to the bottom you then can take the honey off of the top without taking a bunch of bees with you and it's very it, it just stresses them out a whole lot less to go down by themselves rather than you know taking a box and pounding it out and what you'll see some of these guys do so when you push them down like that, you then just take the honey, put it on pallets, throw the pallets on your truck, and bring it back to yeah, the. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure bang on. to piss them go off through the machines. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely it's 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 not good for them and, you know sometimes the queen goes and hangs up in those honey supers as well so you take a colony of bees you pound a bunch of bees out of it and if the queen's sitting in there she's probably not going to make it back into the right. colony and that's so i mean I guess obviously uh, speaking of uh, yep.
0: a queen bee too uh i know when the queen bee die uh, so obviously it's like earlier you talked about that kind of you find new ones or like how fast do you have to get one into that colony it, it It's important for them to have the Queen bee with them, isn't
1: it? it? It is absolutely extremely important. The way that you get queen bees commercially and the way that they do it naturally themselves is obviously two very separate processes when when you as a company put a queen in generally it's because the queen started to go bad sometimes the bees kill her when she starts to go bad sometimes we go through and we see that something's starting to go wrong with her and we'll kill that queen and then when they send them to you they send them in these little cages that have a candy in them just a the hard packed sugar essentially when you put that in the colony, the other bees will sense the queen pheromone and they'll start to eat that candy to let her out. The reason that they do it that way is to give that colony time to get used to the pheromones of those that queen. If the queen gets out too rapidly the bee and the bees are not used to the new queen's pheromones and they still can f- sense the old queen's pheromones, they'll kill that new queen. So if you the it's 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 a real borderline kind of thing where you want them to go queenless for just a little bit of time, and then have time okay. to accept that new queen I, before that makes she sense. gets let out.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't. And then, but if you, but so then I guess the question is too. Then if you know if they go too long without a queen, or you uh, they just keep not making it, or whatever the case is, uh. So can can those other uh, bees die, or what, what? what happens to them?
1: Um. Well, the, they obviously will age out. A bee has a lifespan. Uh, when it's working real hard, about twenty one days. When that when they're sitting in the colony, they can. I mean, there's a winter period where they last a bit of time, but for the most part, your re- die, your bees are dying. You know. 28 to 30 days when they're just kind of sitting in the colony 14 to 21 when they're out working really hard in the summer um so without a queen to lay new eggs your your population is obviously going to pretty rapidly die off when you when we come up to a colony that is small and it doesn't have a queen so you know it's it's looking like it's hurting real good we'll kind of do the same process that we do with making the new ones. We'll go find a colony that's doing really, really well in that area. And we will take some brood and some bees. And generally you like to take them from a few different colonies. So the bees get all mixed up and kind of confused. That that also helps with your queen acceptance. So you'll take a couple frames of brood and a couple frames of bees from other colonies. You'll put it in that small queenless colony and add a queen to it. And that's how we kind of, give them a little bit of a bump, a little bit of a help, and it helps with queen acceptance okay. so that next you know, time uh, will make take.
0: Mixing colonies, uh, do, you, do you test for diseases before you do that? Because, you know, you're talking about, I don't know, how some, you know, how they, how they can have ticks or whatever, and I just know if you're going to mix them, out do you, you think you would test them first, right?
1: Okay. Um, there's not necessarily a test that we do, but if a colony is doing real, you, you can tell by a frame of brood how well the colony is doing and how healthy they are. And you can look at each individual bee itself and pay attention for things like if the, if the wings look like they got burnt by a cigarette, that means the colony is going through a severe amount of stress, which then obviously points you to look, looking at your diseases, um, for each disease or virus that they can get there's signs just like there is for a human there's the symptoms that you can see on the outside with the european and american fowl brood it starts to affect their breath it makes their larvae like a yellow colored and it makes the eggs look twisted and contorted and kind of messed up a little bit so you got to have kind of a keen eye to see a, a bee egg obviously but once a guy gets to know what he's looking for, you can look at a colony. And generally, if the, if it's a big colony that we feel comfortable taking from, they're big because they're healthy. A sick colony declines so rapidly. Okay. That
0: you I you can that makes sense. I was, tell if they're sick. Oh, I wouldn't shirk sure it. Yeah, when Earlier, you were just talking about yeah, how some may not treat them and some do. So I'm just wondering how.
1: That, 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 that
0: just crossed my mind.
1: Well, as long as as long as you're uh in again in like an area like ours where we can't have any other beekeepers around we'll we'll generally have about 48 to 64 colonies and one one close location and premises as long as we are treating each one of those 48 or 68 colonies then we don't have much of a problem here with intermingling bees and that's what makes montana it's such for the a winter place got to
0: get rid of the Oh, okay.
1: Well, what we do is we ship them into big storage buildings, and that's a, we 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 kind of hibernate them per se as much as you can for a bee, and then when it's time for the almond oh, pollination, okay, no, cool in to, uh, we dig them back out. Show me the process one
0: day. I'd love to come see that, and if, if that's possible for me to uh, come and uh, what do you call it uh, ride, uh, ride along. ride along.
1: Um, as far as with the company, it's it's a big liability issue for them. With that being said, I have I have a few of my own personal hobbyist colonies that yeah, I would love that. more yeah, than any time to
0: take you to. I'm not doing much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, when I get when I get going towards the latter part of the spring, since so what I do is I buy a package of bees from my bosses every year. And do my own little bee colony, and then I kind of just let I let them die in the winter. I absolutely do. The reason I do that is because it's just it's it's so hard to keep them alive here during the winter. I can only imagine, especially if you you, you do do it on your
0: own and uh, you don't have you can't bring them to a nice storage place.
1: Having the access that I do to be able to, uh, because generally in the spring we have a lot of swarms. It's just the nature of the bee. So instead of letting then letting a swarm go out and die in the spring, where it's good, healthy, fresh bees, I get to go take that swarm and bring them back to my colony, and
0: okay, that's cool. Start taking care yeah, of them from there. Yeah, um, I definitely remember my, yeah, I'll remember to hit you up uh, this spring. So I guess I got a few more uh, bee questions, and then yeah, yeah, absolutely. I talk to you about a little, uh, a little bit about fighting. So, I guess, uh, uh, how many different kinds of bees Absolutely. are there out there?
1: You know what? Yeah. I don't know if I would be the correct person to ask that question. <laughs> I mean, there, there is a lot of different kinds of, not only just species. Of yeah, bees no, I just, the research I, I did know. I, I heard 25,000 different
0: kinds, but, you know, you can't...
1: You know what? That that is absolutely believable to me. Because I mean, there is just Alrighty. so much yeah, that goes be, into
0: the genetics of them. You know, or even if if they're dead, just like you know, in, in a big frame of every different kind, I that was even cool to see. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm sure there is somewhere in a museum.
1: That will to do would my some really digging. Cool you know, and that's why I mean, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't. Yeah, well, that's be true. Yeah, they and, don't and know even like they killed every the bees. That was kind of yeah, is, was just, kinda yeah.
0: new this year, wasn't it? Or
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Where I mean, where did those all of a sudden come from? I think that uh, in some areas, when, when when bees, and well, not necessarily honeybees. Honeybees are a little different story than you know your wasp and what have you. But once they start doing well, they they swarm and they will uh, take over, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So what you know, one good year, yeah. And then and and the I don't know if it was true too, but I
0: heard that you know that the bees found a way to kill the killer bees. They were, I think, they were like uh, smothering the wings, and it, it suffocated some. But that could be fake news.
1: So in this. Is- um, no, it's it, it, uh, a technique that bees use pretty commonly on insects. They do it to, to spiders. They do it to anything that's really in the, in the premises of their colony that's an insect. They'll let some spiders hang out, but only if they're in the right spots and not getting in their way. If, they, if they're starting to spin webs and catch bees, they will surround them and they will just buzz their wings. It just create it creates so much heat when they do that. It's actually how they stay warm throughout when the weather starts getting cold, they'll huddle up really tight together and they'll flutter their wings. And it just creates a massive amount okay. of heat. So that, that like is it's a, the they research, kill other insects I did,
0: that way. So, it's, it's pretty spot on so far. I, I, I was, I was worried for this one for this podcast. I was. Yeah,
1: they, no, they, uh, they, they do a, uh, they do a pretty, uh, pretty good job releasing good information about bees for the most part the way that we do it is commercial beekeepers is such a large scale ordeal that uh unless you talk
0: to somebody that's in
1: the business everybody does it different so you're gonna hear yeah.
0: oh, sure. thousands of different
1: ways that people do bees
0: that goes with any job
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, th- those kind of little details are really hard to find. I've heard some stuff from other beekeepers that I'm like, oh, whoa, man, I did not know that. Um, but mo- most of what they post on the Internet about bee health and what's going on in the bee world, is it, they okay. usually do a pretty well, good job of publicizing it. And and my last know. two
0: uh, questions are uh, any kind of touch jump, or I guess. Now, these are totally different. Um, so, like, i do not do some like honeybees like do they have up to five eyes? Is that is that true? Okay, uh, that's that old, is not something that I've ever personally seen, <laughs> uh, info that I read. And then, uh, the other one is, uh, like, well, why do bees uh fly uh side to side? they don't fly in a straight line uh as from what i've seen
1: um you know generally bees won't uh, they won't take a specific pattern of flight as far as flying in a straight line i uh or even flying side by side i think a lot of what it has to do is when a, when a bee comes to a colony and it's found a floral source that's blooming, they'll do a dance where she'll wave her rear end in the direction of the floral source. And how far the movements are that she sways back and forth is the distance in which that floral source is. So at that point, it's probably multiple bees being told by the scout bee, let's go out and get this. And they're just kind of getting there at the same time. So, they're wow. right next to each other, sniffing out this floral
0: source. Okay. Well, I, I'm not yeah, going to call them. I'm, be I'll take your on it. You know more than me. You no, know, that's cool. It'd be. Yeah. Um, it, it Just how smart insects and animals are blows my mind.
1: They, they, uh, they, you know what? they do, just You, you look inside. A bee colony, and it's just absolutely outstanding how clean it is and how how sealed up and warm they can get it in there. I mean, it, it really is kind yeah, of an right. impressive thing to watch.
0: Like well, I said, I'll come check out your, your, your little uh, bee, key, or bee yeah, keep in the spring. I right, mean, now it's time. Uh, I don't know if I talk, you know, it's absolutely, been, I think it's my favorite subject. You know, three guests in a row not all fighters but you know, i think that you have've been in the game longer than both of them so i think i, know, I have a few more questions for you than i have them so, so i guess uh, is your okay. is your record six uh, and two right
1: uh, i'm ready for it but is
0: that correct Oh, I have to,
1: yes, I I am six and two in MMA, and I have also had one semi-professional boxing match, and I'm one and zero. I mean, it's All not right, some it boxing not, uh, it's something that I do there. or is
0: something where that, that at? I have
1: done. Um, yeah, it was a local fight in Bozeman, put on by a pretty small-time promoter. Just something I grew up. Uh, he was a wrestling coach in the area when I, as I grew up wrestling, he asked me if I wanted to be on his show to kind of help fill a fight. In. And I said, you know what, I okay, guess, now so I guess I was that before you got boxing.
0: into the, uh, like ICF or MMA, whatever you want to, same thing, same sport.
1: Nope. no, nope, That was actually right as I started, as right as I started to fight for okay. Terrell and Ryan and.
0: And the, um for fusion, it's an, and going into what uh, was fusion, who has been your toughest opponent?
1: Oh, okay. easily and by far it has been Noah Schultz. The, the The last fight that I had, I mean, that kid was just right now, Yeah, I dirty, wasn't there. Tough
0: for that one. I think the the last fight that uh I, I actually I saw you in person was. With oh, uh, against James Dennis,
1: yeah, I was at the fights with you. I fought Nate Stranding on that card. That, uh, I lost my 35 pound title that night to Nate. And you know, Nate, Nate's a tough kid. I sat on Nate's chest for I mean, five minutes of the six minute fight. And he just weathered absolutely everything. He had an answer for everything that I had coming for him. And uh, he, he, he came through on a real good transition and put me in a triangle and ended the fight. Like any great fighter is going to do. When you see your one opportunity, you take it. Um, Noah just felt like he had me in trouble a little bit more. I had not ever felt like I was in trouble with Nate. Just that I couldn't quite execute exactly how I wanted to. Um, with, with noah I felt like I was real close to being okay. in trouble and times uh and what fight.
0: I've seen uh, of your fights too is I mean, you you can sure take a punch and you know your facial expression like you don't like being hit but you, you can sure give it right back right away and uh after you have a mu- have enough you know you're pretty skilled in in wrestling so you, you like you like to take them down and Either uh, choke them out or try and get them in some kind of a submission.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, uh, I, I grew up wrestling here in Townsend with the Rouser twins. Anybody in the state of Montana, the the club that we wrestled with at the time, we just we went all over the nation and we were the best of our age in the nation. I, when I decided not to go to college, I decided to move back home to Montana. I was going to school in Oregon and I moved back home to Montana. So I kind of, kind of got out of it at that point when I decided to get back into MMA, I, I knew that that was going to be my strong suit. Um, When, when I see an opportunity to take somebody down, I, I'm not scared to stand and bank. I absolutely am not. Like I said, I, I had a boxing match with an opponent that was significantly bigger than I was. And he, Beat the piss out of me. I still won the fight because I can fight. But boy, I, uh, he lit me up pretty good. It's not something that really necessarily scares me. I just, uh, if I if I have an opportunity to take you down, I'm going to. The longer I stay on my feet, you know, Noah caught me with a real good head kick. And uh, I mean, I still have scar tissue on the bottom of my lip from where he connected his shin right to the bottom of my teeth. And it didn't take me long to recover for it. And when I say it didn't take me long, it took me, I mean, less than half a second. He couldn't even tell that it really did any damage to me. Um, when I see an opportunity for a takedown, I take one. It's because I can just, I think I, I, I'm very strong, and I make people feel like they're in trouble very quickly. And when you make somebody feel like they're in trouble when they're you're sitting on top of them, they have a real good tendency to turn their back. And when somebody turns their back to me, I've ripped a real knack for getting yeah. my arms around them. Well, and when, when
0: you turn on your back, uh, on them, you know uh, from all the fights I've seen, that's that's a sign when you say like you want to be done, you're giving up.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't really. I'm not, I'm not really sure. I want to be in here with this guy anymore. And while I don't, I don't think that I'm. You know, I shouldn't say that. I do, I do think I'm one of the toughest guys in the world. I really, absolutely do. At least at my weight. Um, I have a lot to learn. There's a lot of skills and techniques that I haven't been a part of and haven't been able to put together quite yet. But but I do believe the things that I am good at, I am one of the best at them, absolutely. And, and I feel that when people feel my physical strength at 125 pounds, it's it, it kind of probably a little intimidating, I would assume. Even at 145 pounds, I have people tell me, man, you are... Th- ridiculously fucking strong so I, th- I think when i start grabbing a hold of people on the ground and start doing whatever i want to them essentially and not just from strength but also because i was just so good at it to begin with as a kid i know the techniques i know how to move my body and i think i think it starts to scare kids then you start sitting on their chest and trying to punch them in the yeah, face uh, and they go man i, you know, I, I uh, really am not sure i want to uh, do this how anymore. much
0: longer do you want to do it or do you want to stay Fusion forever, uh? Or do you want to grow and maybe see if you can get in the Bellator or UFC or uh any of those?
1: You know the, the 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 goal is always always to try and fight for a good professional promotion. Um, I'm I'm 26 years old already. Between me and my girlfriend, we have five children. <laughs> and it's those kind of things definitely make it increasingly hard to be super committed to the fight game. So it's always unsure with you know you, my my 7-year-old son will be getting into wrestling or is wrestling you know but he'll be getting into the competition seriously within the next yeah you know 3 to 5 years. And uh, at that point in time it's time to focus on kids and making them great at what they want to be great at and uh but i i just i have such a passion for fighting and my family has such a passion for fighting we all we we just love the lifestyle they don't like it necessarily so much when i'm you know Two days away from making weight, and I'm in the very late <laughs> sessions of the, the weight cut. But other than that, it's, it's it's a very exciting lifestyle for us. And for me, I've just lived it my whole life. Fighting is just something that, that, that we did. It's a sport. I've always been able to take the emotion out of it. And just, I want to know who's more skilled in yeah. a fist to cuff. It's it, it just always been a part of my life. So, so it's hard to get out of something like that. It's, it's, it's hard to not want to continue to go. I've had some pretty early success. You know, beating Noah Schultz was a a good test. That kid's a real tough fighter. He he gets to train in a a real legit gym every single day. He takes it very seriously, and I do expect to see that kid fight professionally. At at what level professionally is hard to say, but I do believe he will – compete professionally and obviously if he can do it then i i can do it as well so that always sticks in a guy's mind you know i don't think now is the time to give up the ghosts on chasing a professional gig i've only been a part of it two and a half years i've had nine fights total including the boxing and i i just feel like i'm moving along pretty well for somebody yeah, yeah, you're like you you young that you,
0: know, you got five it. kids but you know like when you're talking all that uh like, kind of like, you know, a cowboy or Donna Cowboy Cerrone. You know, he's a family man, you know, loves his kid, puts family first. But when it's fight time, it's fight time. That's kind of what I was hearing from you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the, the the hard part about it being an amateur is, we, we don't make you know I make some sponsorship monies and i I, I do better now with it than I have but a, a, a guy's yeah. got to work you know five six days a week on top of it as well so when you start you start working it takes a lot of, a lot of time away from the family but uh with with that being said like I said when it when it's you know eight weeks out from a fight I always work hard, my job is hard. I hunt in the mountains all the time. i mean i I am always working i I run all the time. I am always doing stuff to keep myself in shape when it comes time to get fight ready, you know, eight weeks out of a fight i i we definitely sacrifice our time, but now, like as I said, my family, we all just love the lifestyle. My kids enjoy it, they enjoy to be a part of it and go to the practices and so they, what's your family, walk your rate. That, like? that definitely helps it a lot, equally. you know but i was i was taught by my coaches as a young kid wrestling that you never tell anybody exactly what you weigh you don't want them to know if you're light if you're heavy if you're sucking too much is what i'll say about cutting weight is I believe that it is a very significant part of the game. Anybody that wants to complain about it is somebody that's just not willing to put in the work that others are willing to put into. Um, a lot of guys will say it's really super unhealthy and it is. if you try and cut weight too fast, absolutely, it is super unhealthy. But there's sciences to it. You can do it the right way. I, I, I cut a, a significant amount of weight. I, I cut a professional amount of weight. I will say that. I cut as much as the professionals do, if not a, a lot of them more. And I feel great walking out to fight. I mean, I get a little bit of hydration in me. I eat a yeah, meal. I, like, I, know. I, I, to, I should have been fucking uh, smarter than to right ask
0: you. But, uh, I, know, I, I know the answer already, but the reason I asked was because...
1: No, I, uh, I, that's actually a, that's, that's a question that I always appreciate getting and answering. Because I think a lot of guys throw a lot of shade about cutting weight. I will say... For young children, cutting weight's probably not a thing to do, but uh, the ability to cut and, weight you know, is something that I'm an very, very proud I was just of. And I love to, that
0: question. I'm like, oh, like, you know, just trying to see uh, how much time. Usually, like, if I like, 125, like 145, so i was just trying to figure out like how how much time does it take away from your family and kids? The the the
1: weight that I cut. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think it it doesn't take any more time than actual training for the fight itself. Uh, I, I, diet real well leading into the weeks leading up to it, which brings my weight down to a respectable level to be able to do it with hydration. Um, at that point, it's all about the week out of a, away from a fight, I will switch my diet entirely to just protein so I can start releasing that water in my system. It's not being wasted, digesting carbs and sugars, um, And I'll just keep myself real hydrated tour. I'm feeling real good. And then, you know, four days out, I'll start three days out even I'll start kind of cutting my water and take a little bit slowly throughout the three day process to where it's not a huge abrupt, I don't have to go crazy and cut weight for six straight hours. I wake up in the morning and I go on a run and the, the, the day of when I get back from going on my run, I'll have my wood stove all stoked up and I'll come run in here and jump under blankets with all my sweat gear on and everything else just like everybody else does. But, it, it, I mean, it only takes me an hour or two of devo- – once I get to that point, I'm no longer practicing and taking punches to the face anyway. So it, it's all just cardio work okay. in the mornings and, and, and the,
0: early evening. I mean, I guess the training – Do you stick to one gym or have you tried – uh, other gyms out in Montana?
1: Um, You know what? I have not done any traveling to any of the bigger gyms in Montana. I know that it is something that I'm really looking to start doing. I like to, and, and I, I don't have a specific gym that I train at all the oh, time. Yeah. I go to Helena and I like to work with Johnny Aho and TPG. And I like to work with Donnie Nickerson and eight limbs boy Thai. Um, and there, there's a, a guy that does some boxing here in my hometown that we do some stuff together as well. But uh I would like to start going down and putting some time in at Diesels and I would yeah, really I've like heard to good get things about like SBG up and SBG Calisco. Yeah, definitely
0: I go down to a Diesel's gym sometimes sometimes and I just uh you know they take me out of my uh, my chair and uh we leave it upstairs you know, and he carries me down and I sit in uh, I like go, a, a can be lawn chair. You know and just watch them for a few, you know two or three hours and I don't it, I, I love Joe he's a good guy. It's like family there, which I guess you know it's like family at every gym. I love TPG, you know shot to Johnny and everyone from their gym.
1: You know, Johnny is a great guy, but yeah, I I've heard the same things about Diesel that you you about counter punches gym than uh as I have from you. You know, I've heard that he is just a real great guy. I hear that he's real knowledgeable. You know, he's really great at passing on information. All those kind of things that when you start looking for a gym that you're gonna go fling some money into, it's, you know, you you want to know what the coach is like. Yeah, and I like you I, know I it's a good membership too. You know, he can. About Joe
0: uh i think for your whole family you can do it's 70, 75 bucks a month and uh it's not, not just you but it, it, your whole family can be there for uh every session at kickboxing uh martial arts uh just the uh, uh bj Jack, yeah, everything he he coaches you could be there all, all day and uh pay, have that monthly monthly rate so that's what i, I think is cool and uh, right. He wish he didn't have to. Char- he wish he didn't have to charge people, but uh, he just you know he needs it for the rent.
1: Well, yeah, that's yeah. That's but yeah, but I love that he just has to share his right? knowledge yeah, with everyone else, and
0: I know. I see. I yeah, definitely when you have time, check it out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of intentions on doing so. Um, uh, what are what what, what are they doing? Know, I have been the there down there right now.
0: I uh, scrub since you know, uh, masks were, you know, I guess I haven't been there since uh, the, the new since the, the new phases hit. So before, you know, uh, I, I wear my mask because I I had a uh, bad COVID scare, but uh. It's masks were you know optional, but a lot of fighters warm, and of course, when you start rolling around, they're, they're going to fall off or you know, you're going to get tangled up in them. So, I guess it's you know, at, at your own risk, pretty much. But now, with the new lockdown, uh, and phase, yeah, I yeah, wonder, absolutely, you know, yeah. I'm sure he, he's going to enforce oh. it to keep day he wants to keep going, he wants to uh, help fighters keeping shape and
1: yeah and that, that 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 was my big question is if he was just I can't I can't see him stopping a little bit
0: wanting to keep move 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 and uh good. good, good, another good you man. talked about you're a, a hunter uh and you, you, you've been you were out hunting the last week weren't right? you know, I know we were supposed to uh, podcast uh friday and uh we're airing this on a saturday so i uh, just tell me about your experience that you had yesterday or throughout the week
1: um you know so yesterday i i, I hunt all year long obviously um i just met this guy recently that that guides t- for hunting over in glendive and uh he, he had just offered me, hey, you know, I, I've, I've filled all my clientele over there, and I'm back home to hunt. If you would, if, if, if you would like out there, then I'll take you out elk hunting with me to the spots that I go here when I'm home. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely, let's go. We uh, Just a couple days before that, he had killed a bull in the same area, a six-point bull. Not a huge six-point, but a six-point bull. And was watching a couple more of them that were in the area. So he was like, "Hey, yeah, I mean, I just seen him a couple days ago. Let's let's go in here and let's try see if we can't hunt them down and find them. You know, we, we cut tracks and we seen areas where they were moving through. We had I had a bull at 750 about 15 minutes before dark last night. I just decided that being that I mean that that's pushing it on what I I can shoot that far. I'm capable of shooting that far, but that's about it. I wasn't right. sure I was comfortable taking that shot and trying to track an animal down through the dark. They didn't, they didn't seem too pressured, so we figured we'd go back up and try and get them this morning. But yeah, we never did end up running back. Do into you hunt
0: it. strictly? Did you do it in bow hunting or is it all rifle? Or?
1: No, I absolutely do, do bow hunting. I, uh, I start hunting during spring bear. And then the seasons close off for a little bit, but I'm always still up there glassing and looking for elk and, you know, just trying to find the animals that I want to go after for the year. My, you know, my kids just, my girlfriend's kids are just getting into it. So we had a lot of tags to fill this year. It was important to get out and find these animals for them. So I just got to spend all that time, and then bow season hit, and I got to spend my own time hunting a little bit of private land over in the East Bridgers, getting some bulls. Uh, I haven't been street. out for I, a I couple just,
0: of years. I uh, I, the person I go with is a, a game warden, and, and uh, he got pretty busy last season training you guys. And this this season, uh, winter hit us early, and uh, I know I, I, I live in Conda. I don't know if you ever been down in this area, but don't so, you know we don't. Uh, have, you yeah, know,
1: no, I have, yeah, uh, we have a lot absolutely. of great
0: spots, but like when the winter hit us early, and then it got nice again, and then cold, it, it really uh, ruined and uh, stressed. I think is the right word. Uh, stressed the deer out and the antelope, and it, it was just it was, it was just hard to get out for me to get one. And uh, I, I can hunt for my vehicle. I, I got a permit for that, but no, that you know, I, I don't like it so much. It, it's not the same. You know, until I got my first one, and uh, I did not like it so much. But, so, you know, I don't, I, I like, uh, so I, I didn't get anything this year or last year, which is a bummer, but it's all right, because my brother got one, and that sort up our freezer. But, yeah, I, I have a crossbow, and I have a, a compound bow that I use, and also, uh, now I'll use a rifle if needed.
1: that that's very cool i i'm honestly i really am really honestly glad that you still get to go out and you still get to have that experience that, that was actually one of the things that I, I was really excited to talk to you about was just when you said that you had hunted man that just, i love seeing things like that so when when you uh when you do go out is the areas that you're hunting you are you guys uh, you guys yeah, are oh, pretty low it,
0: level it, it, it depends right where, uh, where you are and uh yeah, I guess it. Which area you are? If you go, if you're north of town, uh, or, or north of Conrad, yeah, there's some nice whitetail and there's also an, a nice muley. I guess yeah,
1: yeah. that's pre- pretty typical for the area of Montana. We just and, like, and I, and my first year hunting was
0: movie. probably it was five years ago. So I was the first year I was shot was in my chair. And I think it was a, a a nice four point. You know, I was glad with it. And, you know, and I think I shot uh oh yeah, hundred and fifty you know, yards, uh, or with a, a three seventy. And then, you no, know, not a couple other times. You know, I, I shot. I try to get yeah you know, antelope a couple of years ago, and uh. I, that was the first time me using my compound bow and trying to shoot out of my van and just totally missed a, a whole pack. There was probably a herd of 15 and I was getting lined up on the, on the front run because they started running. I'm like, hey, I'm just going to send my arrow and hopefully I can stick one. Right, I missed them all. And...
1: Uh, you know, I got to be honest with you. I think bow hunting from mm-hmm. a van like that would be yeah, pretty it, difficult. To it takes do. some
0: to get work. in on it at all. It takes it's impressive. a two man really? job, then you know, or a three man job with me, uh, a driver, and someone to help me get the bow set up. And then, I uh, know, or like, yeah, but absolutely. I like to sit in a blind. You know, I, I think that's my favorite. Uh, or or does you know, in my the last one I got. Was a doe, which I didn't, I didn't mind, cause it was the end of the season, and uh, it, I just wasn't gonna wait to see if I saw a, a buck, and I, I went out, and I don't remember how how, how far it was, but there was a, a, a nice, you know, a big doe, and you know, I blasted it, and I, I was happy with it, and I. Uh, like I said, but you know, I don't care. I guess I don't, I don't. I don't care about the size, you know. It's, it's the meat that matters.
1: And that's why I like to call myself—an opportunistic hunter. If it's there and it's a legal animal to put, because like, I mean, this stuff is expensive, you know. Any time that you can start feeling tags, yeah, especially yeah, a, when, what, a you tag that like, a man can't pass fifty that bucks
0: out. or something like that, and. And then if you draw a tag, too, that's another 45. So, yeah, it's, it's an expensive sport.
1: And once you start putting all the gas and, every you know, all the equipment and everything for it, it's, it does start to add up. But uh, the uh, the quality of the meat, just the way that all of this process is, you know, it, it's all worth it. But a guy, a guy can't just go pass enough opportunities and animals. I even this year, man, I had some real nice bucks, real, you know, where located where they were at. The opportunity never really presented itself. I, you know, I messed it up a couple times. I jumped him in the timber and pushed him out into the open. And there's just a couple times that, I, you know, a guy just messes things up. And then I got a, a shot on a a a littler buck, and I said, "Well, yeah. you know, I've been out hunting this long. I guess I better." Yeah, just I would take mine as
0: well. But I don't know. I guess. I, I, do you have any uh, uh, things or questions you'd like to ask me?
1: Uh, you know, I actually I, I do. I really want to talk to you, but you said you like to like, I kind like of whatever I can
0: catch. fish. I know mean, whatever I can I can catch. Yeah. And. <laughs> See, that's that's awesome. I uh,
1: I I am absolutely no good at the fishing. I, I yeah, get I'm not you know, that good. I guess good around time. where I go, <laughs> you,
0: you damn near have to have a boat to catch anything. But to catch anything offshore, it, it, it's pretty hard. But I you know I, I yeah. Uh, it's pretty well cool the same way here. A few years ago, I went up to Portson. And I found, like, a, a fish in my life kind of, uh, they put they put together their own type of, like, place where people can fish for free. And uh, and uh, there was a snapping turtle. And I, I almost snagged that. I'm like, please don't. I'm like, I do not want to take a hug out of that. I, I so I don't, uh, I still would have been cool to catch one, but. Uh, at the same time, like nope, I like, don't want to take my, put my finger in that turtle's mouth.
1: Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think. No, but, I really I, but with fish, I just like, uh,
0: <laughs> you know, uh I, I like to uh, fry it, you know, bread it. Uh, I think that's the best way to eat it, personally. But
1: no, I think I would have to agree with that. I like to smoke my trout. Like, but yeah, I'm, it I'm to not to cook the right way to begin with. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I, I, li- yeah. I like the wildlife.
0: Yeah, I, I like the wildlife. It too I'm not. Good. I don't. I don't like sitting still. So I always like to be doing something, whether it's you know, watching sports or just being outside, or like during the summer, uh, if it's nice out and. I'll drive around my hometown all, all day long until my battery dies i on my chair. And I think I can go about 10 miles before uh, I need to come home and charge it. So that's so that's why I, I don't like the winters because the winters are much harder for me to get around. And I know, it, it gets depressing almost.
1: Oh, oh, absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. Guy wasn't meant to just you no, know, and that's
0: kind of why I thought I would take upon a, a podcast and see how uh, well I do. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that.
1: Oh, and I, I, you know what, I think you do a great job, and it's definitely, it's definitely, definitely something to keep you busy. I mean, I, I was very excited to come on here and talk to you tonight. <laughs> Especially when you know, you were like, I don't, I don't want to just talk about fighting. I really want to talk about the bees and what you do. And I just... I like, I, well, I, honestly,
0: I, love, like, I, I, I just thought that was your nickname. It. So, until uh, I, I, when uh, Ryan commented on, on the Facebook post, like, we're, we're going to talk about bees. I'm like, bees? And he's like, yeah, he's a beekeeper. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, that makes sense.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's uh that's uh, I don't think it's something people really think that a guy can uh do for a full-time job as a living. You know, I had no idea about it at all. Needed a job, found the ad in the paper, went out there and next thing you know, here I am in a suit taking care of some people, learning how to do it anyway, right, just captivated. Me. I, was, cool. I was in from there.
0: Good story. Sure. I like that. Oh.
1: So what? A, um, what? What? Yeah, I, I guess I,
0: I've, I've always podcasts. liked uh, listening to, you know, Joe Rogan. I uh, he's fucking a brilliant, a brilliant guy, and uh, I, know I do a shit ton of like. Uh, he's probably the only guy I watch, um, now or only the first time I watch now. Just good, uh, his know- the knowledge he knows and the the, the guests that he has too, or they're they're, I don't, I know, they're all brilliant and they all know so much of what to talk about. And I know I want to be the next Joe Rogan. I know that may sound like a joke, and people might laugh at me for that. But like, I don't, my goal is to be on Joe Rogan's level someday. And I don't care how, I don't care how long it takes.
1: Well, I mean, what's the point? What? Yeah. Well, what's yeah, the point right. of doing something if you're not going to shoot for a real good golf like that? You know, I th- I think I think it sounds crazy when when I tell people that I want to be a professional fighter. You know, it's it's always wild to think about. But the more you do something, the more time you put into it, the better you get at it. It's, it's, as long as the yeah, guy's exactly. And uh, in
0: I keep adding really, people there's that there's uh, you can't do. You know, want to do live videos or or I guess do live, and then I would edit them and uh you know, fix them up later. But right now, I'm just doing uh, using this app and I uh, start recording, and it's really hard to edit. So I usually just uh, don't edit anything and full send it and clip it in. But like I said, once I get once I get going and uh, maybe get some sponsors or uh, I've been doing pretty well in uh, my sweatshirts that I, I'm having made. I have gotten got 20 yesterday that people ordered so i, I gotta get out and send but i, I want to get some equipment and a computer and a soundboard and just get video going too because i think that will bring in more attention i can post to youtube and, and, and different platforms
1: yeah yeah absolutely you know, it's a, it's a real good idea with the sweatshirts and stuff, too, and it's always exciting to a guy when people start supporting and people start ordering the sweatshirts like that. I have fun doing the MMA the same way. You know, I make shirts every so often, and when people start buying them, you're like, oh, chefs, oh, oh, okay, right on, people. Yeah, you know, and this, this I like is something that, too. Yeah, actually I, don't,
0: I don't know if you've seen, the, I guess, the design of my sweatshirts Isn't that picture on, on the screen. You can see it, and I'll post it for others later on. But uh, after I graduated high school and then I guess uh, and uh, I, I wanted to be a motivational speaker. So, you know, I had I did that design probably seven years ago. And for like, the last seven years, I've been saying, like, all right, you know, this year I'm going to do it. I'm going to start it this year. And then I started watching more podcasts over the years. And I thought I can mix it up and do podcasting. And motivation at the same time, and uh, so after, so so I quit my job after seven and a half years, uh, back in January last year. I've I worked at the school, so I accepted a teacher, and I quit my job, and then uh, COVID hit, and then that's when I really started uh, doing a lot of reading and podcasting and more more podcasting, watching more. To get better trained at. And I'm like, fuck it. Like, this is the year I'm going to do it. I, I quit my job. Like, I, I'm going to do it now. I got to put 100% into it.
1: And then that's the way that you got to be about it. And I and really hope that you'll be successful with that kind of attitude. Well, you know what, bud? Thanks for, uh, thanks again for having me. I uh, It's getting about time to put my young one to bed here, but I really appreciate you taking the time and talking yeah. to me and asking me questions. Yeah. About my life uh, and my I appreciate ha- and having you on. And, uh,
0: you like I said, if you ever want on again, I'll, I'll be happy to have you. And, uh, you know, and maybe that'll be, uh, once I'm video live or once I'm, uh, or after I come see your colony, you know, uh, we can, you know, talk about it and, and Tell people what I what I saw from it, and experience, and learn. Yeah, all right. Absolutely. Well, like I, you hear Chris like you say, it's be, uh, I guess bud. time to end the show. So thank you guys for listening to episode three of, of Go Roadshare Nate podcast. Uh, and I look forward to the next one. Right. Have a good night, Chris.
1: Hey, yeah, thanks again. Hopefully Hopefully we get back to fighting. I can see you around soon.